When we originally conceived the idea of a show about film music, one of the first names on our guest wish list was Sofia Coppola. I am beyond delighted to say we finally got our girl with a supremely gifted writer-director joining me on the release of The Beguiled, which won her the Palme d'Or at Cannes. I'm Edith Bowman and you're listening to Soundtracking, the podcast about the sounds of the silver screen. Sophia's pedigree is impeccable. Few directors in the history of cinema have used music more effectively than her father, who instilled in her from a very young age a deep understanding of its potential. This has been reflected in her own work from the anachronistic punk tracks she deployed in period drama Marie Antoinette to the dreamy electronica that so perfectly fitted the mood of Lost in Translation. Playing now from that film is Alone in Kyoto by Air, who scored The Virgin Suicides. She's also married to Thomas Mars from French band Phoenix, who scored The Beguiled. And it's with The Beguiled that we begin, even though it doesn't feature that much music at all. Sophia Coppola, welcome to Soundtracking. This is a real joy to get you on this show because we're short on women talking about music and film and there's so many of your great films that we can talk about, but congratulations, first of all, on The Beguiled. Thank you. And weirdly, it's a film that doesn't have much music in it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's true. It's a departure for me. Sonically, something that I think that is a a constant in your films is, is how sound within film, whether that's music or inconsequential sound, is such an important part and really essentially is, is a piece of the puzzle of your films. Yeah, definitely. I remember my father always saying to me that sounds half the movie. So I really think about that, that you're more aware of the visuals, but really half of the whole film it happens in the sound and I work with a great sound designer Richard Beggs who I've worked with on all my films and and just after having worked with him on my first film I started to think more about that and when I was writing the script for The Beguiled I was thinking about the sound as really an element that early on. The sounds within this film that aren't music based whether it be you know insects or the rustling of leaves or the gunfire in the distance and stuff it gives you that real sense of being in it. Oh good because yeah I really wanted you to feel like you were there with them in the south and the atmosphere and the, and the sense of it nature outside and the insects and like the cicadas and the heat really feels like that place and that they're very isolated from the war but it's in the distance you hear the cannons in the distance so you're reminded that it's wartime and just to feel like what it would feel like to be these women isolated in this house at that time. Marie, come with me. that far. Is he dead? Uh, no, not yet. But we do still have elements of score that pulsate in and out at points on the film. Because there's very little of it, was that harder to work out when you would need that? And what were the decisions that you made on when you wanted to put that in? 
the main thing I was thinking about is I really wanted to have tension, sustain yeah. tension in a way that I've never thought about that before. So, you know, music alleviates tension. And so it just felt like when I was starting to see the images, when I spoke with the editor, it felt like they were stronger without music and without yeah. a score that you're aware of. So I asked Phoenix if they would make some of this kind of electronic tone music that they did they did some similar music for somewhere my yeah. film somewhere and so that's where i was aware of it i thought it was something kind of similar to what they did there but more minimal And then I sent them images and they would send music back. And then it wasn't until the editing phase that we played around with where it should be and, and certain scenes, we tried it. And then there's a scene where, where Nicole Kidman's bathing him. It's very, yeah. you know, heightened. And we tried music there and it, it just felt like it made it kind of corny. And um, <laughs> and I wanted it to be really uncomfortable. And yeah. So that's something that happens in the editing room. And, and um, Tamar, my husband, who's in Phoenix, he came and sat with me and the editor. We tried different cues in different places and um, until you find just what feels like the right balance. And then at the end we wanted a, a real, I wanted a real song and asked them if they could you know, do something that was somehow incorporating something classical yeah. with a modern approach and they came up with using Monteverde but slowed down to 800 times. So they made, so they made this last cue that is I think the, the, the song that you're most aware of because it's, it's the one that's like played out into yeah. a song and wanted to leave the audience with them, the feeling kind of a haunted feeling of the story. That's really interesting you say about that scene with Nicole when she's bathing Colin's characters because if you had put music on that, it would have been a completely different emotion. You can feel her kind of uncomfortableness but almost desire as well in that and it's so fascinating thinking about if something had else gone on that. Yeah, when we looked at it with music it had a whole different feeling and it <laughs> felt, um, yeah, it just felt cheesy but, or just it felt like it just wasn't the right thing and and then now I love to watch that scene and you're really aware of the sound of the fabric and the water and he feels more there with her and so tense because you, you see her kind of conflicted. Yeah. And yeah, just is she going to lift the towel? Is yeah. she not? I know. I, I, I have friends that are like, couldn't she have just lifted that towel? I should have made an X version.
But we have music within the, the narrative as well, you know, in terms of their, yeah. their learning instruments and the performance element of that as well, which is a lovely way to incorporate music into the film as well. Yeah, the songs in the film were songs of that period that they're performing, in a, and I like that it's coming from the characters and in the story as opposed to put on. And that was their form of entertainment in that time, so that was a big night to have around piano, yeah. you know, singing for him. And the song Lorena was one that they referenced in the book that was a big hit at that time, but it was a song that both the North and the South loved, so oh, wow. one song they agreed on. friend of mine played me the Johnny Cash version. That's how I first heard the song. And, and then um, it was touching to hear the young actresses singing it. I'm going to dig that version out. Oh, yeah. Definitely, oh, for cool. sure. The years creep slowly by Lorena. Snow is on the grass again. The sun is sinking low, Lorena. Frost is where the flowers have been. The music sad and low, Lorena. You'll be in my arms. At last. Music's been a very important part of your, your filmmaking. Would you, would you agree with that? Yes, definitely. I mean, it's a big part, and it's something that I really enjoy about film because I, I love music. I'm a music fan, and so that to be able to use it in my work um, because I can't make music. So it's, it's um, you know, to be able to include music that I love is a big part. And I think it just it, it adds so much to the atmosphere of a film. Well, you, you mentioned your dad earlier there, and, you know, in terms of a master of using score but also contemporary music and in such brilliant and powerful ways yeah. what a great example to have to learn from that I guess or witness yeah, that as well and, yeah and there's a lot of there's a lot of musicians in my family so that's something that I didn't get that talent to make it but um but there's you know an appreciation and yeah I definitely saw him doing that and you know I always enjoy that aspect of it when you're in the edit and playing around with the music. Can I kind of talk about a couple of specific bits through other films yeah. as well? Like in, in Virgin Suicides, when they're having that wonderful moment where they're having a conversation over the phone oh, yeah. with using the vinyl, which is such a brilliant part of the film. That was from the book. I thought it was really sweet that that's how they couldn't say what they wanted to say, yeah. so they expressed their feelings through their playing music. Shit, is them. Stay in one place anymore 
be so fine to see your face at my door Doesn't help to know you're just Later. Within the book, was it specific as to the tracks, or was that something that, no. that you kind of explored and worked on, A, what you wanted them to say, but then what you would use? Yeah, um, I don't think that they mentioned, they might have mentioned a few songs, but I remember working with my friend Brian Reitzel, who was a music supervisor. He was um, a drummer for the band Red Cross that yeah. I knew, and he knows a lot about music, so I asked him to help me pick out um, songs of that period, and I remember going through them and you know making the conversation. It was a lot of fun to do that. Lux has been forced to get rid of her and the way she carries oh, that yes. record box down the stairs and they fall out and you, you get a glimmer of well there's the Kiss album and there's is there Fleetwood Mac I mean were you specific about what was in there or was it just um, let's just put some vinyl in a box you know that was like the, the art, art department, department picked yeah. them but I can't remember how specific I mean I think they had to be what she would have yeah. and I think it was funny that like of course, the mother would want a Kiss record. Or, you know, like <laughs> yeah. that, was, that was the devil's music. Well, there's a recordance of Kiss through a few of your films as really? well. Somewhere, there's a Kiss track in Somewhere, I think, as well. Oh, really? Yeah. I never thought about that. <laughs> I never thought about my connection to Kiss. It must be just like a childhood subconscious <laughs> yeah. connection. There's, oh, obviously there's a part of you in every one of your films sort of thing. Yeah. And I was reading a story about Lost in Translation where the lounge singer oh, yeah. that we see in the film, she was actually, is this true? She was, yeah. a in, in she was a real lounge singer that we saw at the Park Hyatt one night and I asked my producer if we could try to track her down and somehow they did. She was she was based in Australia and she came back and, and I forgot about that. But yeah, I know I saw her one time and so... And then when I was writing the script, I, you know, I pictured how this the whole thing of being there was so surreal, and that that, that they're so into jazz music and that yeah. kind of hotel singer. And um, she was a good sport and came back and was in the film. Do you then specify to her the music you want her to sing? No, I did. I, I had that in the script because I don't know if she had actually performed that song or I had thought about it. The um, Paul Simon song. Yeah. We just thought. I just when you hear those kind of really different versions, it's always kind of surreal. Thank you. We're glad to be here. We're Sauce Alita. And with Lost in Translation, was the music that you used in that quite autobiographical in the sense that the music was? Yeah, that was the music that I was listening to at that at that point in my life. And I remember listening to my Bloody Valentine when I was going to art school and like trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And you know, I felt really connected to that at that moment in my life. And of course, it's a classic. I love their music.
also I wanted to have that feeling of when you're when you're in Tokyo, you're jet lagged, so it has this kind of dreamy mm -hmm. aspect to it. So Brian Reitzel and I worked on that. I worked with him on that soundtrack. Uh, he made me these mixes like Tokyo Dream Pop, we called it. And it just <laughs> had this very specific atmosphere that fit with the look and the colors of the lights in Tokyo at night, and just trying to convey that magical, dreamy jet yeah. lag feeling. I remember going there and it just feels like you're on another planet. You're like in Blade Runner. It feels so futuristic. Yeah. And, um, and it still has that quality. Things like that as well, when you are using contemporary music and score, is that something you talk about with your music supervisor and your composer in terms of what's right and what's the right fit in certain situations? Because with you it seems like you mainly use contemporary music when it could be there within the narrative, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I always like when it has some connection. I mean, usually it's something I start to think about when I'm writing the script mm. and then, you know, working with the team to help me put it all in place. And like with Marie Antoinette, I was thinking about that period as from growing up as a teenager in the 80s that I think of 18th century as like new romantic music and Adam Ant videos and, you know, Susie and just that they, that culture really embraced that 18th century style and so I wanted to make it in that feeling and yeah. and um, and I was inspired by Ken Russell's film of um, Brown's List that was like doing history in a really pop way and in the spirit of these kind of irreverent teenagers. So I, I automatically thought I'd want to have that music and I want to have Bow Wow Wow and these bands that I loved and you know and, and that kind of spirit of new romantic teenageness. stroke song because it had the <laughs> feeling of romantic teenage feeling yeah. I felt it connected to that so it's always to support the emotions of the film I want 
When you're writing, do you use music as not an inspirational tool, but to take you places and to help form yeah. characters? Yeah, I used to um, always listen to music a lot when I was writing. When I was first writing Virgin Suicides, I was staying in London and I went to a record store randomly and they had Premier Symptoms Air Record and I'd never heard of it. It was right when that first came out. And I asked the guy at the shop if it was any good and they said, yeah, and I just bought it because I, I don't know, the cover or something. And, I, yeah. and then I started listening to it when I was writing that script and I listened to it all the time when I was writing and it really felt like the mood of it. I should talk to them about doing the music. So I contacted them and asked them to do the score. So that's how that came about. And then Brian, he helped me with the 70s music. You know, so it was a blend of score and the music of the period. Was it a case of did you send them the script or you just have discussions about the tone or ideas or Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I know I I know I had like a reference book of photo images I probably showed them, but I, I, I sent them clips of scenes and then they sent music back. So kind of like the girls in the yeah. no, but I always feel like I like them to respond to the images. So I, I sent them scenes and they sent us a bunch of music and then I worked with Richard Beggs, our sound designer, to work on placing where the music fit. you first said about music being so important to the whole picture that music for virgin suicides the air did even if i hear the music on its own whether it comes on the radio whatever you instantly think of of your film it's oh wow they're kind of almost sewn together now i think yeah i mean that was yeah they wrote that music for that mm. film and it and to me that yeah just it fits so much with the atmosphere and the kind of dreamy look of it and, yeah. and the story that story was a was a memory too so it, i didn't want to just have period music i wanted mm -hmm. to have something that separated a little bit as a memory
piece as well. I, I like how you don't necessarily follow the expectation of that. I mean, Marion Twain is a really good example in terms of going against the traditional. Yeah, 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 exactly. And it's you know, and similarly with Bigard as well. With the little amount of score is there, with it being electronic and kind of pulsation and stuff like that. I think it's really important to think like that rather than for it to fit perfectly with yeah, the time. Yeah, I like the contrast. Yeah. how he had Wendy Carlos do the classical music in a modern way through synthesizers. So yeah. I, I, I love um, the kind of mix. There's like a friction because they don't really go together. So I wanted something that would support the story and not interrupt it, but um, that had another quality to yeah. it. Sometimes when I'm writing, I'll think about the music and you know I'll think about what it looks like and what it sounds like and, and just the um, that feeling. And this one, I remember when I was writing the script, really wanting to emphasize the real sounds of nature and and, and being um, cut off from the world and how isolated that they were. And the confidence with this film as well, and not relying on music or or needing music so much as well. It's like it's so powerful, oh, as you. powerful to not use it as to use it sometimes. Yeah, I thought it was really much stronger and, and it's very stark and, and has a really different feeling so it was interesting to, to work in that way which I which I haven't really before and and, um, and the sound department said it was one of their more challenging films because they couldn't hide behind anything and they had to we, we shot in New Orleans in a city and we had to strip away all the modern sounds of traffic and and rebuild all um, rebuild all the very it sounds very simple but a lot of work yeah. went into it it's funny because we've done some lovely interviews for this this show and so many times people will cite Apocalypse Now as being a, a real you know kind of moment in their life where they've suddenly realized the importance and the power of music and yeah in film and it's it's wonderful to hear that kind of recurrent thing come back again yeah again. I remember seeing it as an adult because I grew up watching it and then yeah. and being so you know impressed by that when they did the restored version on a big screen and Richard Beggs who worked on that film was my sound designer now who I work with now so he's um he's such a hero but yeah I love the way they did the music and I didn't realize my dad recently told me that he composed the music with my grandfather and then uh, I guess Mickey Hart recorded it electronically with, with the keyboards and I was like where are all those keyboards and, but I mean, it has such a great sound and then the, yeah then the way they used um, the doors and everything that um so yeah maybe I got um a gene from my dad of <laughs> no I, I have it, it, it it's impressive how he uses music
watching Lost in Translation and I could not stop laughing just at that, that little scene where he's on the cross trainer. Oh, that and was his idea. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just love Bill Murray loose on it. Or I mean, like, it, there was like the, the promise was there, and then he did that whole thing. It's so fun to watch him. What about the karaoke within uh, oh, Lost yeah. in Translation as well? Yeah, that I remember in my 20s when I would go to Japan. I, I did work there as a photographer and different things. And I remember for business, the host sometimes would take you out to karaoke, and there were like wigs and costumes, and everyone would drink a lot of sake. And I have lots of fun memories of karaoke, so that I wanted to show all the experiences of yeah. being in Tokyo. And, and then I love Bill Murray when he sings. He's so heartfelt to me. Yeah. And I guess I remember him from SNL doing his lounge singer. So um, I just always love to find any occasion to make Bill sing. <laughs> yeah. Did he get to pick the songs that he sung, or was that? No, it was fun because I got to request. Great. Uh, yeah, I got to make requests, <laughs> and um, and I love Brian Ferry, so I was happy that he um, he sang more than this. Yeah, that was the one, right? Yeah, and it's just so touching how he can be silly but then switch to sincere and heartfelt. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Bob Harris. Thanks. This is hard. I could feel at the time There was no way of knowing Fallen leaves in the night Who can say where they're blowing As free as the wind Hopefully learning why the sea on the tide has no way of turning more than this. You know there's nothing more than this. Tell me one thing more than Is it a reflection of your karaoke choices too? I think they're just songs that I like. I am a really bad singer. I can't sing. So my karaoke it's song karaoke. Is, no one's supposed to be I able to sing. I know, but yeah, my, my karaoke song is Cherry Bomb. Great. By the Runaways. That's my... Because you can kind of shout it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of getting around it. Yeah. Congratulations mm-hmm. on the response and the thank accolades you. as well so far. Mm-hmm. I expect there's a lot more to come as well. Oh, it must have been a wonderful you. thing to... With Khan. Yeah, it was a big thrill and a surprise. And yeah, it's... You know, you're in this little bubble of just making a movie that you want to see and it's always just a thrill when other people can connect to it. Listen, thank you so much for your time. It's an absolute pleasure. And I look forward to whatever is next, whenever oh, it may be. Thank have a good you. Break. It was really fun. Thank you. It was fun <laughs> talking to you. Thanks, Sophia. Thank you.
Sofia Coppola's karaoke song. That's the wonderful Cherry Bomb by The Runaways, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking. A thousand thank yous to Sophia for taking the time to talk to us. From my point of view, something of a dream come true, to be honest. The Beguiled is on general release around the world now and is well worthy of the accolades and awards it's been receiving. You can find a full track list for the show via edithbowman.com where you can also subscribe to this podcast and catch up with all of our previous episodes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And please do tell your friends about us if you like what you hear. We'll be back next week exploring more stories and sounds from music in cinema. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Thank you.